0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Throughout the Lord
1: Jesus' ministry, he performed many miracles. But these miracles were not done just for the purpose of performing miracles. He got the attention of the people who witnessed these miracles. And when he got their attention, he didn't just stop and say, wasn't that great? Wasn't that awesome? He didn't ask them that. He followed up the miracle by telling them some things that he really wanted them to know. It was the miracles that he performed that got people's attention, that gave him a position of credibility, that put him in a situation where people would be more willing to listen to what he had to say because of the miracle that he performed. People believed, they recognized that what happened could have only happened through the divine intervention of the living God. And so because of that, it was in their interest to pay attention to not only what he had done, but what he had to say afterwards. This was a very important aspect of his ministry. But what I want you to understand in this context is that while the miracles were very important and had great meaning to the people who witnessed them, What's even more important is what he had to say afterwards, what he presented afterwards, what he taught. That, to me, is what we really need to pay attention to above and beyond the miracles themselves. Now, obviously, not everyone was interested in what he had to say. Even though he performed these miracles, he got people's attention, not everyone was really interested in what he was going to say in the truths that he was going to communicate afterwards. The predominant group of people who had a problem with the Lord Jesus was the Pharisees. Those were the people who were considered to be the religious leaders of that time. They were considered to be a very holy people because of their pursuit of trying to live a life of total repentance and obedience. Now, for the most part, they believed that they had no need to repent because they were obedient. And so obedience was their focus. Obedience to the Mosaic law. But more specifically, what they were wanting to be obedient to was some additional laws that had been created that would create a lifestyle that they would live by. And their belief was that if they lived according to this lifestyle that was defined by all of these laws that they had created, then through this lifestyle, they would never come within the boundaries of being at risk of potentially violating any of the Mosaic laws. Now, the Lord Jesus had an awful lot to say to the Pharisees. And the real meaning behind the things that he had to say to the Pharisees had to do with the fact that they were not really as impressive as they thought they were. He wasn't doing that to be rude. He was doing that for a very important reason. And that reason was to show them that they were not as obedient as they thought they were that they were not as impressive as they thought they were. He needed to do that because if they did not recognize that they were not as obedient as they thought they were, if they didn't recognize that, then they would have no need for the mercy of God. And if they had no need for the mercy of God, then there was no opportunity for them to be saved because salvation would have no meaning to them, at least as Jesus was offering salvation. That would have no meaning. For example, if you consider forgiveness... Forgiveness is only valuable, it has value, only if you recognize that you have sins that need to be forgiven. But if you don't see that you have sins that need to be forgiven, then forgiveness has no real meaning to you. And so it was necessary for the Lord Jesus to explain to the people, especially the religious people, that they were not obedient to God, that they had not reached an appropriate standard so that they would recognize that they have a need for the grace and mercy of God. That was the primary focus of his ministry. His ministry was about teaching people to live under Moses, to live under the law, to live under the old covenant so that they would be prepared to enter into the new covenant that would go into effect after his death. That was the focus of his ministry. And the miracles that he performed were performed for the purpose of getting people's attention so that they would listen to what he had to say. Now, please understand that the truth is the truth regardless of whether or not the truth is supported or validated by miracles. That's not how we validate the truth. I mean, just because miracles are performed or things take place that give the appearance of being a miracle, that doesn't mean that through that truth is going to be revealed because these miracles can be justified by other means. It could be a demonic miracle or it could just be a matter of circumstance. There are many potential reasons as to why a miracle might occur or not occur. And so please understand that the miracle can definitely be used by God to get people's attention because they believe that the miracle is what validates the truth. But it's not necessarily the case. The truth is the truth regardless of whether you have a miracle to validate it. In other words, you don't need miracles to validate truth as it is revealed. There are some people who have no real interest in what is true or what is not true. They're actually quite consumed with the pursuit of miracles, believing that if they can experience a miracle, then they have some connectivity with God. But the reality is is that our connectivity with God is initially done on the basis of what is true versus what is not true. And we turn to him as the true and living God. Now, the Pharisees had a problem with the Lord Jesus. They had a problem with the Lord Jesus because they believed that they were obedient and that they would have a place in the kingdom of heaven because of their obedience. They believed that they obeyed the law of Moses. And in addition to that, they believed that through the additional laws that they had incorporated within their lives, that they would never possibly come within the boundaries of violating any of the laws of Moses. However, when they observed the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus may have lived in obedience to the law of Moses, but he did not live in obedience to their laws that they created, that they believed were necessary in order to ensure that you would never violate the law of Moses. So the argument of the Pharisees was that Jesus was not really obedient to Moses. He was not really obedient to the law because he did not live in obedience to the laws that they had established, that they had created, that would ensure he would never violate any of the laws of Moses. So they believed that he was a sinner because he was violating their laws. However, they could never officially convict him of such. They could never officially declare him to be a sinner because he was quite open and quite direct about the fact that he was not going to live in obedience to their commands. Instead, he was going to live in obedience to Moses, and there was no way that they could refute him on that basis. There was one attempt when they tried to deal with him on the basis of the Mosaic Law, and that was the circumstance of the woman who had been caught in adultery. And I have done two radio programs on that subject of the woman caught in adultery. That really has nothing to do with a woman being caught in adultery or go and sin no more. It actually has to do with the fact that this was the one time that was recorded concerning his ministry, where they argued or they discussed the issues related to the Mosaic law and the Mosaic law alone. All of the other confrontations had to do with their traditions or with their additional laws that they had established. So I want you to understand, first of all, that the Pharisees were unwilling to believe in Jesus as the Messiah because he was not willing to live in obedience to their laws that they had established that were in addition to the Mosaic law. And so if you were to ask a Pharisee, why don't you believe in Jesus? He would conclude by saying, I don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah because he violates the law of God. They were not making a distinction between the Mosaic law and the Mishnaic law or the Gomorrah law or the Takanot. Those are different kinds of laws. I explained the different types of laws that the Pharisees had established in a program that I did titled, Do Not Do According to Their Takanot do not do according to their talk and note. And I would like to encourage you to listen to that program to get some background concerning that. But for this program, I would just like to mention that if you were to ask Jesus if he was a sinner, he would say no because he obeyed the law. If you ask the Pharisees if Jesus was a sinner, they would say yes because he doesn't obey the laws of God. But the reason why they would say that is because of their definitions concerning the law of God. Now, eventually, they were able to get the Lord Jesus in a trial. They were able to put him on trial. This was at the end of his ministry. They were able to get him in a circumstance where he was put on trial. And when they arrested him and held this trial, it turned out that they violated many of their own laws in order to convict him in their court. For the Sanhedrin to convict the Lord Jesus, they violated many of their own laws. And so throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus, the Pharisees were opposed to him because he was not willing to live in obedience to their laws, but at the end of his ministry, they were willing to destroy him to find a way to have him murdered And in the process of doing so, they were willing to violate their own laws. So there was a dramatic change that occurred in the hearts and the lives of the Pharisees, of the Sanhedrin, of the people who were in positions of power, who were in positions of authority there in Israel. A change occurred. First, they were unwilling to violate their laws, but later, at the end, they were willing to violate their laws. And I wanted to point that out because I want you to see, I want you to understand, this is really important to understand, that the religious leaders were first and foremost against Jesus because he was not willing to live in obedience to their laws, but in the end, they weren't willing to live in obedience to their laws either. That's a very important thing to understand, and I'm going to go through the next several programs talking about his arrest and his trial in that context, exposing the laws of the Sanhedrin that they violated while arresting him and then putting him on trial and then convicting him, that they violated their own laws in order to accomplish this. Now, there was another change that had occurred During his ministry, towards the end, there was a change. And this change had to do with the reasons why they were opposed to the Lord Jesus. Again, the reason why they were opposed to Jesus beforehand was because he was violating their laws. But that reason changed. And I believe that that was a convenient change, as I just expressed, because that allowed them a little bit of freedom to violate their own laws themselves. But there was a change. There was a change that happened. And this change occurred after he performed a miracle that was described in John chapter 11. And so i like to turn to John chapter 11 to tell you about what happened there. A miracle took place, but instead of Jesus directly teaching people something that is true because of the miracle that he performed, he got their attention. He could teach them something that's going to be a revelation of their God. Instead of that, we have another truth that is revealed, and that is that the Pharisees had something else in mind. And so there is another truth that is expressed that is revealed in light of the miracle. But in this case, it's a truth, it is a revelation of what is truly important to the Pharisees or what is more important than what we thought would be the most important. Beginning in John chapter 11, verse 44, this is John chapter 11, verse 44, it says, The man who had died, referring to Lazarus, came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him, and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Now, you could look at that and say, What are we doing? This man is performing many signs. We ought to perform many signs as well. But no, that was not really their intent, as far as I can tell. Their intent was to say that this man is performing many miracles. We had better do something We are doing nothing, and the time has come that we are going to have to do something in response to all of the miracles that he is performing. Now, in this case, he raises Lazarus from the dead. There is someone who has died. He was buried. And he was buried for three days, which is really important because in Pharisaical Judaism at that time, it was taught that a person could be resurrected within three days. If they were resuscitated or resurrected within three days, then they did not officially die. A person was not declared as being officially dead until three days passed. And so the Lord Jesus waited until there was going to be no question concerning this miracle, at least in the minds of the Pharisees. Now, personally, I think that if Lazarus was dead for five minutes and the Lord Jesus raised him from the dead, I would be impressed just the same. But in this case, he was performing this miracle so that the people there at that time could observe the miracle and could confirm and recognize that this was definitely... A miracle of the living God, that there was divine intervention that took place in their lives. And in this case, there was somebody who was dead and the Lord Jesus resurrected them from the dead. Now, what happened was that some of the people who observed this miracle, they went to the Pharisees to tell them what Jesus had done. Now, why would they go and report this to the Pharisees? I personally think it is unlikely that these were just spies of the Pharisees who were going to tell the Pharisees, hey, you better be concerned about this. You better go do something about this. It's my opinion, it's my belief that they went to the Pharisees with this evidence, hoping that maybe the Pharisees would believe in the Lord Jesus because of the miracle that he did. But instead, they respond differently. They say that this is a problem They convened a council. Now, this council was composed of the chief priests and the Pharisees. And this is a very important thing to recognize, because the chief priests were not Pharisees. They were Sadducees. This was a time when the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who were normally in opposition with one another, they were two opposing parties, both religiously and politically speaking. They were opposed to one another in many respects. But at this time, they get together, they convene a council, and begin to conspire. Now, as you continue reading into verse 48, it says, in John chapter 11, verse 48, it says, If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, this is very important to see. This was a pivotal moment in the ministry of the Lord Jesus where the religious leaders declare their concern. They declare their concern that they have never really declared before. They declare a concern that is greater than their religious concern, greater than their perspective concerning who the Messiah is and what he should actually accomplish. This is something else. They say that if we let him go on, if we let him continue to do what he is doing, then there are two things that are going to happen. The first thing is that other people, and in this case, all people, all men will believe in him. That's the first problem. And then the second problem is that the Romans are going to come and take away both their place and their nation. And as you continue to read to verse 53, it says, So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. They conspired to try to find a way to have him killed murdered in this context. So I want you to see that this is where the transition happens. This is where the official transition happens, where they go from just being unbelievers in the Lord Jesus to now being conspirers to have him killed. That is their response to the miracle that he performs. And the reason why is because they don't want people to believe in him and they don't want the Romans to come and take away their place in their nation. That that is more important to them than whether or not Jesus is living in obedience to their commandments. That is what is more important to them. So these are the things that I need to address. Now, the first thing I would like to address is why did they not want people to believe in him? Well, the reason why they did not want people to believe in him is because if they believed in him, then they would not believe in them. That's the competition. The competition is who is going to believe in who. And belief is very important. Trust is very important because it did establish their credibility. It did establish their identity. It did establish their position and their place in the nation. And so if the people began to believe Jesus instead of them then their entire life would change. So I personally believe that what they were really concerned with was their own personal job security, because their job security was dependent on people believing in them. Now, they certainly were not paid to teach people the scriptures. They never received any compensation for that. But because of their reputation, because of their associations, people often gave them preference when it came to business transactions and business deals. And when people are given preference, when there are opportunities to find work or to conduct work that can benefit both parties involved, then the Pharisees would find themselves in situations where they would be to an advantage above and beyond other people. So this was an issue. This was a very important issue that if people no longer believed in the Pharisees, if they no longer trusted them, if they no longer looked at them in the same way, then they would lose their opportunities to prosper their entire theology would begin to break down and degrade, and everything about who they were as a person would be at risk, everything about their lives could potentially dissolve. The reason why is because they were dependent on other people in order to be successful so that they could validate their beliefs with their success. If they were prosperous, they could say, look, we are fulfilling the law and God has given us the evidence that we are true and you are not because we are prospering more than you are. That's what that meant. Okay, there is something else that is here, and that is that they did not want the Romans to come and take away their place and their nation. Now, why would this happen? How could this possibly take place? How could it be that if the people were starting to believe in Jesus, how could that be that if they believe in him, then the Pharisees are going to be overthrown by the Romans, especially because there's this tremendous disconnect between the two. Well, the Romans did not really distinguish between people that easily. They didn't care so much about who followed who or who believed what. Their concern was order and maintaining their position of authority and power. They didn't care about these other things. So there was great risk to the Pharisees because of the potential for war, because of the potential for conflict. And the reason why there would be conflict was because if Jesus was recognized as the Messiah, if the people believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and I don't mean just the people who did believe in him as he was conducting his ministry, but I mean other people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the priests, if more people, if the people in positions of authority would acknowledge that he was truly the Messiah... Then, he would be looked at as the messianic king. He would be looked at as the person who would reestablish the Davidic throne, who would also overthrow the Romans to reestablish the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel. That was the risk. That was the threat. And this could have happened. If the people would have believed in Jesus for who he was, yes, I sincerely believe that he might He very well might have pursued that to the extent where he would have allowed them to coronate him as the king of Israel. That could very well have taken place. But please understand that even if all of the people in Israel accepted him as the Messiah, and he did that, He was recognized as the king. He allowed himself to be established as the king. If he did that, if he allowed that to happen, then the Romans would still come in, see him as an individual who was guilty of sedition. They would wage war. They would most likely win because they had greater strength from a military point of view. They would quite likely capture him. And if they captured him, then what would happen? They would crucify him. And so, whether the people believed in him or not, he would still be crucified. Now, recognizing the history that we have, the people did not believe in him and he was crucified. But I wanted to make the point that even if they did believe in him, he would still be crucified because the Romans had the power there in Israel at that time, or they had enough power that they would have been able to do that. So, whether they believed in Jesus or not, he was still going to be crucified which means that he would still fulfill the purpose for which he truly came, which was to provide for the forgiveness of sins through the crucifixion. And then through his resurrection, he would restore to us the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam. This was going to be accomplished regardless of whether the people believed in him as the Messiah or not. And so these were the circumstances of the end of his ministry. These were the circumstances that he found himself in. And I'm going to be going through his arrest and his trial, showing you that the religious leaders in Israel were willing to violate their own laws in order to have him murdered because they believed he was violating their laws. And also because they were concerned about their job security and they were probably concerned about their lives because if the Romans did conquer because of Jesus being the Messiah, the messianic king, if they did that, then certainly the Pharisees could easily have struggled because of that. The Sanhedrin could have been disbanded. There were many things that the Romans could have done in response to Jesus being established as the messianic king. And so they were right in many respects. They still had the option of believing in him, but they chose not to. And because of that, they decided to take the actions that they did, and Jesus suffered in the way that he did because of their decisions. Now, I'm not presenting this study for the purpose of showing you how evil the Pharisees were. That's not my intent, that's not my purpose. I'm only wanting to give you some greater insights concerning the depth of what was taking place during the arrest of Jesus and the trials that he went through, so that you can have a greater appreciation for what is recorded in the New Testament. Now, when I refer to the Pharisees in this simplistic context, I'm also referring to the Sadducees, the chief priests, the high priests. I'm referring to everyone, but in general, I tend to refer to the whole group as the Pharisees just because the Pharisees were the most predominant people who were interacting with the Lord Jesus. Now, I can't help but wonder why someone would consider conspiring against another individual who was raising people from the dead. I mean, I personally would find it very difficult to be motivated to try and have someone killed who is resurrecting people from the dead. That's not the kind of person that I would want to kill because they obviously have some tremendous power. In this context, of course, it is the power of God that is doing this. It is the divine living God who is personally intervening. But to try to kill someone who's raising people from the dead, this to me shows how blind the conspirators truly were in this situation. But I am out of time for this program, and so I will continue with this in the next broadcast.
0: You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.